All right, so we are in 1 John chapter 3, and before I, I want to start out reading the first uh, verse 2, notice what it says, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. As Christians, we make no claim to be without sin right now. In fact, we recognize the fact that we're sinners, and that is why we need a Savior. We are dependent on Jesus Christ. That's why, even though we're saved, you know, we constantly beat the drum of the fact that salvation is not of work. Salvation is not about how good you are. Staying saved is not about how good you are. Eternal security is in Jesus Christ. We all say that, because often people will look at us and they see all the problems that are in our life and then they say, you know, there's something, there must be something wrong with you. But, you know, it does not yet appear what we shall be. It does, it does not yet appear. And this book is written so people will know that they're saved. And we don't have time to go through all of chapter 3, but I just want to point this out, how it starts out talking about this. But then he goes on and he says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And I don't believe he's saying... You purify yourself even as Jesus is pure, but even as, as you are pure in Christ, we have been purified and we have that righteous standing because the blood of Christ has been applied to our life. And so because of that, because we have this hope that we're going to be like Christ someday, because we understand I have a standing with God as righteous, because I have that hope, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to live that way. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to be like Christ. And thank God when we sin, we've got an advocate with the Father because we're going we're gonna to sin. But I want you to jump to verse 17 and notice what it says here. It says, But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, I don't believe when John says here that if you basically aren't going to help your brother, that you're not saved. I don't believe that's what he's saying right here. But you know what he is saying? He's like, how is the love of God in you? And did you know that you can, a person can be saved, but have some really bad traits in their life that will get all of us scratching our head a little bit and saying, how can that person even be saved? I mean, look at how wicked... They're living, and I get it. We understand that salvation is not about works, but if you are living a wicked life, understand you're going to confuse people because that's not what a Christian should be doing. A Christian should not be acting like the devil. And so in this passage, John is questioning how the love of God could be inside someone, but I, you know, who doesn't love his brother? But I don't believe he's saying it's impossible for a saved person to be this way. But he is definitely saying, I don't understand how this could be. He's like, how can this be? You know, how, how can that guy live in that way, actually be saved? You know, we all think that quite often. And so it's very confusing when a person stands there and they tell you they love God or they tell you they're saved. Because then he says in verse 18, he said, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We've got a lot of people talking a good game with their mouth. But when it comes to their actions, we're not seeing it. Their actions are their actions are telling us something different than what their words are telling us. And are we not all familiar with the phrase, you know, actions speak louder than words? I think we're all probably familiar with that. 
So, th- um, so when somebody's telling you they love God and they hate their brother, that doesn't seem to line up with the character of Christ. You know, and it definitely doesn't seem fitting to a child of God. It seems, you know what it seems more like? It seems more like a Cain. Which if, if you were paying attention during the reading, how he mentioned Cain in verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one who slew his brother. So, you know, if you're somebody who's hating on your brother, you seem more like Cain than you do Abel. You seem more like you're somebody that's of that wicked one. Your actions are telling me something much different than what your mouth's telling me. I like what your mouth is saying, but your actions are telling me something completely different. So I think John's basically here saying actions do speak louder than words. Their, their words were good, but their actions were horrible. He's try, it's like he's saying, I'm trying to hear what you're saying, but I can't hear you over the noise of your actions. And I think that's how we felt with many people before. So if you're saved, but a horrible Christian, you know, you're going to confuse a lot of people. And, you know, you can be saved and be a horrible Christian, but you will not be effective because you're going to be sending a strong message. Now, think about this. You know, in our crowd, we love to talk about the importance of using good terminology, don't we? And I believe that's important. I believe using good terminology, I believe using Bible terminology is important. I think when we use Bible terminology, we should use it like it was used in the Bible. I think that's very important too. A lot of people use Bible terminology, but they don't use it like in the Bible. That, that's a problem there too. So you sound biblical, but you're not. And, and we, we get on people for that all the time, and rightfully so. Now, some people go real far, and they'll be like, if somebody uses the wrong terminology, you know, they're not saved. Okay? And, and that might be the case sometimes. But you know, here's the thing. If we're going to go declaring somebody unsaved because they did a bad job communicating with their mouth. And some people are just bad communicators too. Some people are bad teachers. And that's why even, even pastors are like that. And that's why they got their church people getting saved over and over again. Nobody can figure out what they believe. You know, nobody can figure out if they're saved or not. That's bad. And nobody, I don't think, does more to try to help people in that area than I do. I, I have verbally uh, talked to many different pastors. I've talked to many big-name pastors on this very subject challenging them to you know, watch how you say some of these things because you're definitely sending a wrong message. Uh, I think that's a very important thing to do. But you know, if we're going to go and declare somebody saved because they did a bad job communicating with their mouth, what if we went and started declaring people unsaved because they did a bad job communicating with their actions? Because if your actions are telling me something, if your, what if your actions are speaking of and preaching a false gospel? Now, I'm not like some of the nut jobs that are out there declaring everyone unsaved. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? I think we should get on the false gospel that many soul winners are out there preaching. Many people who in word, they've got the right gospel. But indeed, they're telling us something else. And it's like all some people are focused on is getting the words part right down. But they got the actions all wrong. They've watched enough videos. They've been able to memorize the script. But their actions are sending a completely different message. And I believe it is a dangerous thing to do. It's something that is wrong. And I think if we're going to be consistent on this, if we're going to call people out for speaking bad on this subject, I think we need to call people out for acting bad on this subject and sending the wrong message. So in this message, I want to look at some things that are often in the lives of soul winners 
that send the message of a false gospel. And, so, and this is specifically focused on Christians who actively soul win just because there's many unsaved or there's many saved people out there who aren't soul winners and just really aren't sending any message. You know, there's a lot of people out there that they make no attempt to bring people to Christ. Zero attempt. So, you know, we can't accuse them of preaching a false gospel, can we? <laughs> because, I mean, they're, they're, they're not preaching anything. Just, they're just kind of neutral ground. But at the same time, too, uh, sometimes people, you know, at least, said at least they're not preaching a false gospel. You know, th- you know that, that's a good thing. But, um, so what, what, you know, what are some of these things that Christians do that can send a confusing message or even a false message? Because, so again, if we can accuse somebody of poorly communicating of preaching a false gospel, then you know what? I think we can do the same thing for people who are communicating false things through their actions. So notice here in 1 John 3.17, when he's saying, he's talking about, you know, somebody who, you know, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You know, when you don't resemble your heavenly father in any way, you know, you're sending a wrong message. You know, and again, this is if you're out proclaiming the gospel. This is if you are a soul winner. If you're out telling somebody, ye must be born again, ye must be born of God, then shouldn't you seem like somebody that was from the family of God? Don't we all, when we meet a family member of somebody that we know really well, don't you expect to see some similarities? You know, when uh, Miss Morgan's mom was here the other uh, last week, I mean, man, you know, after she told me who she was, I believed her. I immediately believed her because I saw the family resemblance. I, I saw a lot of things in common, just kind of how they were talking, some mannerisms and things. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely, <laughs> you're definitely Morgan's mom. I remember when uh, Brother Wes Anderson's son came to church the first time. You know, he's got the same name too. And as soon as he said his name, I mean, it was, you know, obviously the name gave it away, but everything else gave it away too. Just the looks, the way he talked, they sounded exactly alike. And it was just, you know, and it's funny too, because family members, they often don't think they look that much alike, but you know, when you first see them, I mean, it's like the first thing you notice, isn't it? You expect to see that kind of thing. I, my grandpa McMurtry, who I've never thought I looked like at all, I was at a funeral one time years ago, and this old guy came up to me and just said, are you one of Lehman's grandsons? And I said, yeah, he, so he, he somehow recognized that in me. I've got a bunch of cousins on my mom's side. That, uh, you know, uh, my, my aunt and uncle, they had eight kids and we were always real close to them growing up and we hardly ever see them anymore, but all of them have a whole bunch of kids. And whenever we get to any kind of family get together, I think the last time I saw them was at grandpa's funeral and there's just kids everywhere. You know, they've got a lot of kids in the family, but I can see whenever I would see those kids, you know, and some of them I hadn't seen for a long time, they've grown up, they changed a lot, but I can literally match any of them up with their parents just because you can tell, you know, not just that they're all from the same family with less, but I can tell which one of, you know, the siblings in there is their parent just by looking at them. And that's a pretty normal thing. We expect to see some kind of resemblance. Well, if somebody is claiming to be a child of God, don't we expect to see some, things, some characteristics of God? And one of the main things that's focused on here is the love of God. And it's sad how few Christians show any of that. Some people, I just had a guy friend request me on Facebook and 
you know, and I, I didn't know who he was. I recognized the name, but it turns out I just know somebody else with that name. But I was going through and I'm, I'm scrolling through his feed and literally everything on his feed was, if you're preaching this, you're not saved. This guy's a false prophet. If you're not this, that guy's not. And he's just literally out there just condemning everybody. Just everything in his feed was just condemnation, condemnation. And a lot of things he was saying was true. But, you know, I'm, I'm just seeing this guy is another one of these just kind of psycho nut jobs that just hates everything. I don't like seeing that. I don't like being around people like that. You know, and I was just like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not accepting that. I don't want to see this stuff. I don't want to be associated with this kind of person. And there's a lot of people that are out there. They say a lot of true things. A lot of the things he was saying was true, but there was just such a hateful attitude. And I've talked to people this way. They have such a hateful attitude. They're always so negative. They're always so nasty. They have no care. They have no love for anyone. Folks, that is not of God. That is not what we expect to see. You don't expect to see a brother in Christ attacking another brother in Christ and just being vicious and trying to destroy them. You expect that from Cain. You expect that from them, but you don't expect that from a child of God. And so when someone claims to be that child of God, but you don't see any characteristics, you know, no, there's a problem. And obviously nobody's going to be exactly like, you know, no, no, nobody in here looks exactly like their parent, but you see similarities. And, uh, you know, and so some of those things might be good. Some of the similarities we see, some might be bad too. You know, I mean, and, you know there's things that are expected sometimes if you have, a certain last name. If we had a Rothschild visit the church, you know, we would expect them to have all kinds of money, right? That's just kind of what you you expect from that name. But imagine too, if you had a name like um, uh, like Gacy. Can you? I was thinking about this. What if, what if you had a last name like Gacy? You know, one line of work I would never get into is being a clown. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just you know, with that name, there's just certain things associated with it, and so you're going to be watching that person real close. You know, if a Gacy visited our church, you know, that's just kind of how we're going to be, or a Bundy, or, you know, anybody like that. You're just going to kind of expect something like, and, and then if, if you started noticing similarities, you know, like they were a clown and stuff like that, and they do parties for kids, you'd just be like, I'm staying away from this person. <laughs> but you do. So it, it is, it's kind of a good and bad thing, but it's amazing how many people are out there with their mouth professing the right gospel, but no similarities in their life of anything that is godly. Absolutely none. You know, and the thing is, that confuses people. And so if somebody is looking for the truth and they're hearing you speak the truth, but they're seeing a life that does not resemble God in any way, you know what they're probably not going to do? They're probably not going to listen to you. Or they're going to get confused and then they're going to go listen to the false prophet who puts on a good show of acting sweet. You know, of acting, of acting like they're loving. Did you know that you can be hardcore on the truth, strong in the truth, and not be a jerk? Did you know you can do that? You can be, you can hate false doctrine and not have a bad attitude all the time. It's possible to do that. You know, it's possible to be against a false gospel and not be foaming at the mouth all the time. It's very possible to do that kind of thing, but some people struggle with that. We see in Matthew 5.43, says, Ye have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. I've literally heard Christians when they get called out for being hateful, start talking about how loving they are because they love their family, because they love their friends, because they love their church. Yeah, that's pretty normal. The publicans love each other too. You know, they, so uh, you're, not, you're not impressing anybody with that. It's the loving your enemies. Now that's more like Christ, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know what, not what they do. On the cross, he said, you know, be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now notice when he said to, you know, love your enemies, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. This is not him saying, this is how you get saved, by loving your enemies. When he said that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, he goes on and says, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. What's he doing? He's saying, you're not going to identify who the Christian is by who's being blessed with sunshine and rain. You know, that would be pretty effective if, you know, we had a big drought in our area, but it was always raining just in your yard. You know, if one day the sun came up on your house and nobody else's, you know, that would, that would send a pretty good message, wouldn't it? But, you know, it, it rains on the just and on the unjust. Okay? Those things, those are not how we figure out who's righteous. That's not how people are going to be able to tell. But when he say it, but if you're loving your enemies, that's what's going to tell people you're a child of God. That's what's going to distinguish you from the rest of the world. So remember, you know, <clears throat> so keep that in mind. If you're just out there proclaiming what an imprecatory prayer warrior you are, you're not going to impress that many people with that because you're just good at getting your enemies killed by praying against them and stuff. That's no, we're not noted by that. People don't know where his disciples by that because we've gotten more of our enemies killed than anybody else through prayer. <laughs> I mean, that'd, that'd be pretty cool, but that's not how it works. It's by loving our enemies. And I know I'm not even going to preach on that because I'm not a big fan of that subject, but it is Bible. Okay, <laughs> it is Bible and it is what we're supposed to do. It's right. I'd rather talk about imprecatory prayers, too, and how we can up our game there and take out some people. But uh, I don't really know that that's the way to go. But so verse uh, John 13, 34 says a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. And I get it. You can be saved and not be a disciple. But, but the thing is, when you are saved and you are not a disciple, then you're not pointing people to Jesus Christ. You're not doing a good job of being a light. And just because you go out and you give the gospel once a week doesn't mean you're not preaching a false gospel all week long by just being wicked and not being like Christ. You know, and it's a good thing those people you talk to out soul winning haven't seen you all week. You know, a lot of hardcore soul owners out there that, you know, apparently get a lot of people saved would probably fail miserably if they ever knocked on the door of one of their coworkers. Hey, I've knocked the door. I've knocked on the door of coworkers before and I've gotten some of them saved before. You know, and a lot of people, or if they, you know, they, they can never get a family member or anything like that. The family knows them too well. You know, and even if they tried, you know, their, their life has been so wicked, their family member is just not going to get it. It's not going to register. It's not going to make sense. But often, you know, when you just go out knocking doors like that, and, you know, thank God they're at least doing that right, but it's a good thing those people don't know them. It's a really good thing. Otherwise, they would never be able to get through to them because their life is telling a completely different story. So, um, not resembling your Heavenly Father in any way, it sends a very wrong message. 
to people. And it's going to confuse them. It's going to throw them up. I'm not saying that you're not saved, but I am saying you're sending a false gospel. You're sending a false message. You're confusing people. I thought we were against that. You're confusing people, so you better get that right. Mark 7.19. Turn over to there. Uh, Mark chapter 7. Or maybe I, I just want verse... No, let's, let's go to verse 1. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 7. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples uh, eat, with, eat bread with the file, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. Um, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things. There be, which have received a hold, is the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Um, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread and washing hands? He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Notice the mouth again proclaiming great things. The mouth again saying one thing, but here he's saying, but their heart is somewhere else. Some of these things they're doing on the outside, they look really good. But their heart is not where it's supposed to be. In fact, what they were doing with their traditions, they were vain. Their traditions were even, they were even going as far as causing them to disobey God. But these traditions made them seem holy. It made them seem righteous. It made it sound good. And so because of that, these guys, they kind of got lifted up. But Jesus is saying, you know what? Yeah, what they're saying sounds great, but their heart is nowhere near where it should be. They are not doing these things for the right reason. They're not doing it out of obedience to me. In fact, sometimes they're even disobeying me with with what they're doing. And a lot of people talk a real good game when it comes to the gospel, but they clearly don't believe it. And folks, you say, "Uh, nobody's out preaching the right gospel doesn't believe it. Well, we know an awful lot of people that were out preaching the right gospel have been reprobated since then. All right. So let me tell you, you can memorize a script, you can go out and do it, and it it's not in your heart. You know, because people often say, you know, how could this person, they were such a great soul winner, how could they believe this false doctrine? How could they be how could they be unsaved? You know why? Because they were saying the right things in their with their words, but it wasn't in their heart. That happens all the time. That is not an uncommon thing. That's a very common thing. That's, that, that, that kind of thing is always going to happen. Matthew 15, 8 says, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And you need to understand, it is possible to say all the right things and still send the wrong message. Because let me tell you something. You can be out there telling people things and they can tell if your heart's in it or not. And you know, we all like that salesman that convinces you they believe in their product. But there's some that just don't. It's like, you, you can tell they're trying to rip you off. It's like, you, you know they, they just want your money. But I, I, I've come across some before that's like, man, this guy really believes in this product. And I always like that. And you know, there's, I, I believe it's important. I believe it's effective when we're out trying to give people the gospel, when they can tell we believe it. When they can tell that we mean it. And, and you know what? That is going to show, again, too, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you really mean it, if you really believe it, and understand this, too, 
I, we do believe that the Holy Spirit has to be involved if somebody's going to get saved. And you know what? You're not going to. You're just not going to accomplish anything if you're just out there saying a script and you don't mean it. You know what you're going to do? You're going to confuse people because they can tell. They're you know they're not stupid, and often people do. They're they're sending the wrong message, and communication is an important thing. And sometimes in society we do. We really struggle with communication. I think we've become so separated from each other. Communication is becoming, getting, it's getting more and more difficult with, with people, you know. And this is something we all need to work on. We need to learn how to, I think this is going to be really be bad in the next generation. It's amazing how many young people, they don't even know how to look somebody in the eye. You know, you just talk to them and they mumble. Or, or now everybody mumbles talking through their masks and stuff. I just, I just had another ordeal where I'm trying to get instructions and I can't understand anything they're saying because you know, they're, they're talking to you and asking you can't understand anything they're saying. Anybody getting sick of that besides me? I am sick of that. I am fat. I, I, we need to get back to communication, talking where we can understand each other. And I think we all read lips to a certain extent too. And I don't think we all realized how dependent we were on that until everybody covered their lips up. And oh, don't get me going on that. But I'm, I'm saying all that to say communication is a problem. And it is, you know, it's so bad that and our language, just kind of the way it's getting, we don't use that many words anymore. We use words wrong. And it is a difficult thing communicating things. And there have been many times when I don't want to get ahead of myself here, where, you know, I've been preaching the gospel to people and I said everything right, but they got the wrong message. And, and, and sometimes as people aren't paying attention. There's, there could be a lot of reasons, but sometimes it could be the way that we communicate it too. And I'll probably say more about that in a little bit. Uh, I, I, I need to move on. But, you know, because, you know, here's the thing too. You know, why is it that, you know, I can say all the right things and yet people still not understand it. You know, you can go through all these scriptures about how salvation is not of works and, you know, it's not about turning your life around. It's just about faith in Christ. And then they're like, oh, I don't think I'm ready to make all those changes. I don't think I, I, don't think I can be that kind of person. I didn't say you had, I, I never said you had to do that. But yet that's the message they got. Now, a lot of times it's because their heart wasn't ready to receive it yet. You know, there, there's a lot of reasons for that and so we've got to figure out how to communicate but again what if i say all the right things but my heart isn't right or what if someone is unsaved and they don't even believe the gospel and they say all the right things chances are people are not going to get the message and face it you've been there before where you went through the entire plan of salvation with somebody and man you probably nailed it you were eloquent you did all the right bible verses but you got done and they didn't get it. Have you ever been there before? Okay? And again, sometimes it's on them. You know, sometimes their heart's not ready to receive it. But you know what? Sometimes I think the problem is the soul winner. Sometimes their heart's not in it. You know, and, and so not, maybe not even because they're not saved. They're saved, but they're just, maybe they don't even feel like they want to be there. They're just going through the motions. You know, it is a spiritual thing getting somebody saved. And so we've got to make sure we're communicating 
the right thing. And you're, you know, there's a lot of messages we can be sending sometimes that are wrong and we don't even realize it. But guess what? If you're sending people the wrong message, if you're getting in the wrong idea because of your actions, because of things that you're doing wrong, then you know what? How are you not any less guilty than the preacher who's just really bad at communicating and using bad terminology? You know, he listened to one too many heretics online and picked up some of their language and lingo, even though the guy is saved. You, you know, how are you any different? So the third thing we see is with, uh, that I think contributes to a false gospel in life many soul winners is they have a lifestyle that proclaims a false grace that the Bible doesn't teach. In Titus 2.11, we all know this passage, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So that grace of God that gets us saved it's appeared to all men. Okay? We like that verse when talking to the Calvinists. Teaching us. So that grace teaches us something. That grace has appeared to all men. It teaches us something. If it's appeared to all men, it's going to teach us all the same thing. And you know what it says? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me say it this way. Grace does not teach you to repent of your sins so God will save you. But you know what? It does teach you to repent of your sins after you get saved. You better believe grace teaches you to repent of your sins after you get saved. That is what grace teaches. The grace of God that brings salvation that's appeared to all men. It teaches that you should do that. After you get saved, it doesn't teach you and you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says you have to do that so you will get saved. But many people who the grace of God has appeared to, it taught them that. And you know what? They love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved. They wanted to remain in ignorance. They wanted to remain in darkness. And so because, and so the thing is, when you have a soul winner that's out there who is saved, but is not repenting of his sins and living a wicked life, you know what? You're sending a message to everyone, to all men, that the grace of God has appeared to, that you've got some kind of grace that the Bible doesn't describe. That's what you're telling people. Now, you and I, we know if that person's saved, they're just wicked, they're disobedient, and if they are saved, they're going to be under the chastening of God. But you know what? In the meantime, I wish these people would kind of keep their mouth shut so they stop sending their false message out there. So they stop teaching that false grace. So they stop preaching a false gospel with their life. Yes, if you went out sowing with them, they're going to say everything right. They've got the script down. And they might even be saved. But you know what? You go talk to their family. You go talk to their co-workers and ask them what message that they've gotten from them. You know what? They're going to think something completely different. And, you, and I've seen it too, where you've got a lot of these soul winners that are out there just condemning their Baptist family because, you know, they're just way too repentant of sins and they're not even saved. And then they're actually trying to live a godly life and love the Lord and maybe they're wrong in some few things. Maybe they're not even saved. But in the meantime, you're over here living wicked, living in a way that grace does not teach us to live. The same grace that appeared to them that maybe they did reject, maybe that they did deny, but you're over here acting horrible and you think you're going to get your family saved that way? No, you're too, they can't hear 
that gospel message you're preaching, they can't hear it over your loud, noisy, wicked lifestyle. You've sent them, you're sending them a wrong message, not with your mouth, but with your deeds. You're doing great with your mouth. Congratulations. You're doing great with your mouth. You know, just like, hey, you know, any parent can get their children to tell their brother and sister that they're sorry, you know, to avoid getting spanked or something like that. Okay? But you know what you can't really do as a parent? You can't make them mean it. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and there's a lot of people out there, man, they're saying a lot of the right things, but I'm afraid they don't mean it because they're a lot. You say, no, I do mean it. Well, I can't tell because your life's telling me something different. Everything you do in your life is telling me something completely different. The gospel shows sin is unacceptable to God. The gospel shows us how God couldn't allow us in heaven because of our sin. He had to send his son to die and pay full price for our sin. And I'm not going to go to John 3. I already kind of referenced that. But listen, your good works, you know, they will glorify God and point people to him. But if they're bad, you're only going to confuse people. We see in Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. Say that it's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So again, if you got bad works, you're just going to confuse people. You're going to be like we see in 1 John 3. How dwelt the love of God in him? James 2, I'm not even going to take time to go there. In James 2, that people like to get confused on, you know, where we, you know, we have an expectation of somebody who says they have faith, that they have some kind of works. You're going to send the wrong message to people. If you ha- say you have faith, but you don't have any works, you're going to send a wrong message. And we all know James 2 said that, you know, because the Holy Spirit wants to change people. And the lost know this, and it confuses them when someone is professing salvation and doesn't act any different. You know, it starts out in James 2. You know, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus with respect to persons. Is it saying you can't do it? No, it's not saying you can't do it. It's just saying, please don't do that. You do that, you're confusing people. You do that, you're not going to be justified before man. They're not going to want to listen to you if you do that. And so the last thing I'm going to briefly touch on this, I should probably preach a whole message just on this last point. But you know, you teach a false gospel when you act like soul winning or some other good work makes up for willful sin in your life. You know, I'm tired of hearing people justify bad behavior because somebody's a soul winner. Wicked behavior. Wicked, I mean, even people will even defend wicked actions done by pastors. Look, They're a soul winner. Look at all the people that they're getting saved. Well, I thought the only way to get remission of sins was the shedding of blood. Isn't that what it says in Hebrews 9.22? And almost all things by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. Listen, when you are saved, it's the blood of Christ that keeps you saved. But if you are saved, you can't act like you can go commit some horrible sin and then you're okay because you're a soul winner. You, you know why we're okay today? Because the blood of Christ. That's why, that's why we're okay today. That's why we are still saved today. That's why we still have that righteous standing with God today because of the blood of Christ. Because of His work. Because of what He did. Not because of what you did. Man, I, I hope you go out today and I hope you go witness to some people, but I hope that doesn't make you think it's okay for you to go do something really bad. 
Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to go soul today. That makes up for the pornography I watched last night. Listen, there's only one thing that makes up for sin. Jesus had to die on the cross for that. Now, what are you telling people when you act like that sin's no big deal because I go soul winning? You know what that sounds like? It sounds like penance. That's what that sounds like to me. Yeah, I went and did this sin, so now I'm going to go do this, and this will make up for it. Folks, there's nothing to make, the only thing that makes up for sin is the blood of Christ. So understand, if you're out there actively, willfully sinning, and then you are doing some other work as like some form of penance, you are, you are sending a horribly wicked gospel that is without the blood. We like to get on John MacArthur. You know, for what he said about the blood, what does your life say about the blood? What are you saying about the blood every time you justify sin because of a work of soul winning that somebody does? You know, I'm telling you, people are making soul winning look bad when they do. I am sick of listening to people talk, justify wicked, sometimes criminal behavior because somebody's a soul winner. Listen, you don't, you don't, that's not, you do not justify sin because of some good work. That you do. That is absolutely nuts. That is wrong. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, in the context, he's talking here to Jews who used to, if they would commit certain trespasses, they would bring certain offerings to God as atonement for their sin. Guess what? We don't have those anymore. Jesus' blood was the final offering for sin. So understand that now, if you just go and you willfully sin, okay, all right, so yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you go back and you look at some of those things, they just had to like give some kind of offering. I mean, some of the sins would have probably been worth it. I mean, you know, who cares? I just got to give this offering. I remember uh, I was at my friend's house when I was growing up and he snuck up just to give me a laugh. He snuck up on his brother who was laying on the couch and just went and punched him in the stomach. <laughs> and it was pretty funny. <laughs> And I remember he got in all kinds of trouble from his parents. They just made him, they made him sit down for a long time. And I remember the next time I saw him, he was like, I know I got in trouble and I wasn't able to play with you the rest of the evening because I was sitting down. But he's like, but it was totally worth it. <laughs> and that's kind of how we are sometimes, you know. And I, think, I think every kid's done something before and they got punished and they were just like, that was worth it. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 I'd, I'd do that again if that was all I was going to get. But you know what? We don't have anything like that. There's no, we, you did, you went and you willfully sinned against God. You willfully, you know, got a lot of soul winners out there that still fornicate. And it's like, they're okay. Cause they're soul winners. When they know the truth about this, they, they know folks, your little soul winning marathon you went on was not an atonement for sin. So since I don't have an offering that I can take to God, when I willfully sin, what happens? You're not going to like this, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye should be thought worthy, who had trodden under the foot of the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and have done despite the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So understand here, folks, that I, I get this is talking about something very specific, but when you willfully sin as a child of God, 
you don't get to bring something to God and say, hey, look what I did. Your, your kids have probably tried that before too where they did something bad and then they go, they try to do something good so you go easy on them. No, when you willfully sin against God, you know what you get? You get punished. And God's going to punish better than parents do sometimes and I promise you're not going to walk away saying it was worth it. Okay, when God punishes you and folks, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son he receiveth. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get it. Willful sin will result in punishment on earth. In James 5.19, I'm just throwing this in there for the proof texters, for the ESORD students. All right, if you, if you, uh, James 5.19, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So there you go. I hit a multitude of sins when I got somebody saved. No, when you get them saved, <laughs> you, you hide a, mul a multitude of their sins. They're not going to go to hell now. And so you did very good for them. Because the blood of Christ is going to cleanse them from all sin. They're not going to die and go to hell anymore. So I've heard people try to use it that way. No, their sins are covered. Yours, you're still in trouble. I'm glad you got that person saved. You know, out soul winning. But if you willfully sin against God, He's still coming for you. You're still going to get in trouble. And so a major part of what we do as Christians so we can be effective is we try to be good Christians all week. All week we need to try to be good Christians. We, we don't get to be devils all week and then just go soul winning and then go on Facebook, you know, and rail on some supposed false prophet and act like we just did penance for everything bad we did that week. As, as, and like you just made up for all the sins you did during the week. Now, I, I just exposed John MacArthur again on Facebook for the 13,000th time. No, that's not going to do it. God is going to punish us if we are his children because we are, we're sending conflicting messages with what we do. Many people are preaching a false gospel with their life. They've got a great gospel with their mouth because they have the ability to memorize, but their life is telling something completely different. You know what? I think we need to call this kind of stuff out. I think we need to uh, recognize it and we need to make sure we keep it out of our life. We keep it out of this, out of this church. Amen. We would get all over somebody for preaching a false gospel at somebody's door. But you know what? We ought to get all over people when they're living wicked in the church and sending a wrong message to our community, to the neighborhood of something that we don't believe in. We believe that with the grace of God that brings us salvation, it teaches us to deny on God. We don't believe that we have to repent of our sins so we can be saved. We believe we repent of our sins because we are saved. That is, that is what we believe and that is what we need to practice. And I hope you'll do this. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, these passages of Scripture and the instruction that we get from them. And I pray you'll help all of us to take these things to heart and help us to realize, Lord, we're preaching all week. We're not just preaching during soul winning time. We're preaching all week. And I pray you'll help us to make sure we're sending the right message. In your name we pray. Amen.